Buffs Nation, the podcast representing the best fans in college football. Now, here's Tyler and Jerry. What's going on? Welcome into the Buffs Nation podcast. I'm Tyler Walji. He is Jared All to my right. Jared, Buffs season is over. Five and seven record, losing at Utah to end the season. How you doing today? I'm doing okay. Didn't, didn't like the way that that season ended, but, uh, you know, what can you do when you yeah. go against a top team like that? Yeah. Half of me goes, what do you expect? And then the other half goes, it's disappointing. You would have loved to get to six wins. I'll tell you what. At the end of that first quarter, when CU has the lead, I'm not even kidding. I'm online searching for six and six bowl games the Pac-12 teams could be in. Looking at Southwest.com going, all right. Are we doing this thing? Where are we going? We, we may be going to Vegas, baby. We may be going to Vegas. Got the mileage points built up, huh? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Actually, I'm doing pretty good with my points overall. You do points on uh, the flights? Yeah, you know, we, we're, uh, uh, what, what, we got a diverse portfolio. Let's put it that way. Got a little American Express, a little South. But that's not good. You, know? you want to accrue all your points in one so you can I redeem know. them. But when you sign up a credit card and they give you 10,000 <laughs> points, <laughs> I'm not going to yes. say no. <laughs> Uh, well, like I said, CU, uh, tough loss last week at Utah, 45-15. to 15. And uh, let's start there, Jared. Quick recap before we do more of a season recap. And just uh, so you all know, this will be our last episode of the season focusing on the buffs. We'll do a small, quick little preview into next year. But overall, on today's show, what this will be today is a season review. What we thought of the year, what we thought of Mel Tucker, and really what what we can look forward to going into the offseason. Now, during the offseason, follow us on Facebook. Give us a like on there. Uh, it's just Buffs Nation podcast on Facebook. We'll be doing some updates throughout the offseason. Lots of changes coming between now and next year when CU kicks things off. Uh, week one against, I believe it's CSU next year on September 5th. They open things up with. They so. keep saying that that rivalry is going away. And then every year I look and it's, <laughs> it's still there. I think that is the official last game of the, well, the matchup. CSU, and I think this is a very appropriate analogy. CSU was the fly in the room you thought you killed. And they're just still buzzing around. It's like, dang, I thought that I got him a while ago. Maybe one more SWAT will do. Am I correct that it's in Fort Collins next year, Jared? Um, You know what? Let's see. I have that up right in front of me. Yes. It is in Fort Collins next year going into enemy territory. So, boy, I can't wait to start things off next year. But, folks, uh, that's all coming up in, in, in many months from now. Uh, lots of additions coming, more than likely a YouTube channel coming next year, so stay tuned. Lots of new things coming beginning next season. But, of course, this is all about 2019 and what we saw this season. So, Jared, let's start off by talking about CU's last game, and let's start off right there. First quarter, 7 nothing. CU's looking good to start things off. What did you think of 15 minutes through that ball game? You know, it's funny. You you came away feeling really good right there. As I'm watching it, it's, it's <laughs> the, it, the first quarter's closing out 7 nothing, and it's gone. I'm just thinking, man... You, you had some opportunities to jump on Utah. Utah kind of came out flat. They seemed like maybe the uh, that that national spotlight being on them, maybe got the the early jitters. It being senior night, I think a lot of things were kind of mentally slowing them down a little bit. And, and CU had some opportunities earlier, but but too many missed opportunities. Um, you know, I, I I can think in my head here. You you had the. Uh, the the uh, several missed passes from from Montez uh, early of, in that game, couple of 
potential big plays. The muffed punt early in the game. I mean, just early penalties as well. Yeah, it's just things where it's like, man, you probably could have been up 14, even maybe 21 points But Jared, points I want to be point. careful because it's one thing to say that CU was a couple mistakes away from really taking, let's say, a halftime lead or being in that game. And then as time played on, that's why you hear me say all the time, yeah, things may happen for a quarter or two, but through 60 minutes. You yeah. hear me say the through 60 minutes all the time, and that's because the more you pl- the more you keep playing, the more things can be exploited. And some stats at the end of the game that were very telling to me, two stats jumped off the page. First of all, 60 rushing yards for the Buffs. Bad. Okay. Although that is higher than the average, you tell us let it go. <laughs> for the year, yes, it was. 60 rushing yards for the Buffs, and they were 2 of 11 on third down. That was killer. You've got to be able to stay on the field, move the football, keep the chains moving with Utah. Far too often, they were on the field giving that ball back. Alex Kinney, who's played more games and more, uh, who's played in more games than any other Buff. In the I, I, that doesn't CU. surprise me because he, he had three or four last year before he went down with injuries. Very, so. very cool to see that kind of happen. But uh, you don't love for him to get as many snaps as he was getting, <laughs> right? Because they're talking about that punter like every five minutes, it seemed, during the game. But those two stats to me, third downs and the rushing, not that you can take anything away from one game, but moving forward next year, those are two things you really want to see CU improve on. And I think just certain things that we saw in this game were were tendencies and problems for the Buffs all year long. You mentioned the penalties, inability to convert on third down. That was not just against this stellar Utah defense. That was a problem for the Buffs all year long, and I think in many of the close games, that was the difference there. What did you think of CU's... Uh overall offensive approach to the game the way they came in with the play calling would you have liked to see more trickery more and I can you you seem like you're thinking over there so I can answer first if you'd like yeah yeah go ahead and and I was actually really impressed now not everything was working but this Utah defense it can't be said enough how good they are especially at Rice-Eccles Stadium so with the home field and with how good Utah's defense is maybe production wise isn't where a lot of people would have liked to see CU. But with the play calls, man, they had LaVisca out in the Wildcat in the first quarter. The jet sweeps were at an all-time high. You know, the 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 creativity to me was certainly there. They came out doing what they could offensively. What did you think? I, I would agree with that. And I think it's hard. I can't really knock too much on the coaching staff. When I mean, frankly... What we saw in this game was just a, a, a CU buff scene that was just completely overmatched. And so you did see it. You saw some of that that success manufactured early on in the game, some good drives, so, some, some good push. You got that early touchdown drive. And so I did really like to see there, but it, it kind of seems like they, they maybe pulled out all the stops early and then you got into that second and third quarter. And because you had not generated a big enough lead at that point, you had to keep digging in the bag of trips. And it, it just seems like maybe they, they dug too deep and didn't have anything left there. All right, so that's all the time we're going to spend on the Utah game. Like I said, Colorado not really showing up like we would like them to in the final game of the season, but you, you hate to also give any passes, but that was certainly the best team they played all year long. And if you compare it to how Colorado looked against Washington State or Oregon, it was certainly night and day, even though on the scoreboard it may not show so. Uh, uh, Jared, before we get to Colorado's year review and go game my game, there's some Pac-12 news that got released today. We are recording, of course, December 2nd. Today, today is a Monday. 
And you want to let everyone know yeah. what... Uh, so uh, this morning, uh, University of Washington shocked the world a little bit when they announced that head coach Chris Peterson would be stepping down from his uh, position as the head coach. Wow. And they'll be turning over the reins to defensive coordinator, I believe, Jimmy Lake. Am I getting that right? I, the Jimmy Lake show. I think the, that used to be on ABC. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, but so, I do have one thing to say to Washington since they're bringing in a uh, new head coach, letting go potentially a top five coach in the country. Oh. Well, better luck next year. <laughs> yeah, have fun with that. Chris Peterson, all-time head coach. Great for Washington. Best thing to ever happen in that program. Him leaving is going to leave a major hole there. I don't know how long it takes them if they ever recover. What's he doing? Was he forced out? Uh, you know, there's been a lot of speculation because this is so out of left field. I don't think anybody saw this coming. So obviously, the, the, the first things start to come in. Is there some sort of controversy or scandal or recruiting, anything? I don't see that, man. Chris Peterson is about as, as squeaky clean as they come. I don't think there's anything going on behind the scenes there. And then the next thought you have is that, you know, is there a health concern? I know guys like Urban Meyer, uh, even Bob Stoops yeah, have but, stepped away because of their health concerns. But Urban Meyer and Bob Stoops, they, it always comes out a year later, they're going to come back. Yes. And so everything that I've seen uh, come out via Twitter, via Washington uh, Huskies websites, anything like that, Everything says, hey, no, nothing going on. There's no health issues or no anything. Chris Peterson simply needed to step away. He he was burned out. He was not did not have the passion. So right it now. was likely his choice. It's From what it sounds like, like I just cannot imagine. You take a look at, at Washington over the last what twenty years. Well, and well, they've been nowhere until Chris Peterson shows up. All of a sudden, they become a perennial top team. There's no way you're kicking this guy to the curb after one bad no, season. That actually couldn't be more true. Since 2001, they didn't have one, not one, eight-win season until 2013. They went 9-4, and four, Steve Sarkeesian's last year there. Then Chris Peterson take, takes over. 8-6, and 7-6, 12-2, 10-3, 10-4. and, three, ten and four. There's no way after one season like this they're going to force him out. That would be the worst move ever. And and I think this is going to have such a big impact for Washington because really Chris Peterson brought any any sort of recruiting cachet that they had was because of the name Chris Peterson. Yeah, I, I totally think they lose any that. any draw up to the Northwest. There's not a whole lot of draw up to the, the upper Northwest there. So I think it's going to take a recruiting hit. I think just his X's and O's intelligence is a big factor. And I know Jimmy Lake has been working on this staff over the last couple of years. He actually, by the way, for the Buffs fan out there that maybe know that name, he interviewed for the CU head coaching job okay, last okay, year. So okay. he's a guy, I think more than anything what this is, is Chris Peterson seeing that a guy that he has handpicked and groomed to take over this position was probably going to be leaving if he didn't get this opportunity now and Chris Peterson saw an opportunity to say, hey, you know what? I'm ready to step away. I've left this program and what he believes is a good spot, I think you and I both agree they're going to take a major step back from this one. I think I was thinking of the Ricky Lake show. Ricky Lake, yeah. that's right. That's right. <laughs> Ricky Lake, Jimmy Lake, they're all the same, aren't they? Yeah, who cares, right? But that's Tyler, do you, do you think we're starting to see a trend in college football? I think you look at, we just named two other names, Bob Stoops, Urban Meyer, now Chris Peterson. That's over the last five years. Three guys I think anybody would have argued are top 10 coaches stepped away in their 50s on winning 
programs and turned over to a coordinator they have handpicked and groomed to take that job. Well, Is this a trend? I don't know. It seems like Bob Stoops and Urban, Urban Meyer were more forced out and Chris Peterson, it was more on his own accord. So the other two seem way different to me. I mean, Lincoln Riley is a once-in-a-lifetime coach. you got to make room for him. Uh, so the Bob Stoops thing didn't surprise me. Urban Meyer, you felt like there was just more going on. Like You felt like it was half him, but it was also half like looming stuff. Maybe there was a lot out there that we didn't know about. Maybe there still is. I don't know. It just seemed weird, Urban leaving. This this seems different with Chris Peterson. This seems more personal. I think the just, just to touch on the Urban Meyer thing, I think that whole situation i think ohio state realized how big they are and they were sick of this whole uh in influx back and forth not sure whether urban's gonna keep coaching not coaching they right, said, you know right. what you go play that game somewhere else we're gonna we're gonna turn over to who we believe and, is and the ryan future. day yeah is a good future to have all right should we get into the season-long breakdown i would love it all right here's how we're gonna do this jared and i are gonna break this thing down three games at a time so we're gonna go Three game chunks and give you our reaction to how things went this season. So let's start off with Colorado's non-conference games. They open things up August 30th, Friday, August 30th, against the Colorado State Rams at Empower Field at Mile High. See, you've got the 52-31 win. Montez threw for 232 yards. Alex Fontenot, 125 on the ground as Colorado rolled to a 52-31 game. And from that moment, Jared, I was thinking exactly this. We've seen one game of Mel Tucker, and I still know nothing. Just like every year, you expect to beat CSU. We beat CSU. If anything, you didn't like the 31 the defense gave up, but we didn't learn that much after one game of the season. I do think, though, and, and obviously hindsight's twenty twenty, but I think that was probably the first insight that maybe this defense was going to take some time to get to where they needed to be. I, I do remember coming away from that game seeing a lot of guys moving very slowly, a lot of wide-open players for the Rams, and so I think that was probably the first indication in hindsight that this, this defense probably is asking a little bit more out of these guys, and they aren't quite to that caliber of where they need to be. But I would argue, as you see them towards the end of the year, you definitely saw that transition to, to a, a team that was comfortable with what they were asked to do. I would completely agree with that. One week and one day later, the following Saturday, the Nebraska Cornhuskers, ranked Nebraska team at the time, came into Boulder, and CU had a statement to make. It's time to let Nebraska know who the team is at this point in the season, at this point in college football. They're coming to Boulder. They filled the stadium up. And going into halftime, Nebraska took a 17 to nothing lead. Didn't take long for Colorado to get in the board in the second half. And really, they didn't look back in terms of momentum as they end up outscoring the Cornhuskers 34-14 after halftime, get the 34-31 win in overtime. And at that point, CU is 2-0, they just beat Nebraska, and all was well in Boulder. I think this victory was a little bit of fool's gold for the Buffs because it, you really thought you're beating a ranked team. I think everybody around the country was so high on Nebraska this year. You really, we as Buffs fans, I think really thought, all right, this team is ready to win now. They're going to be able to compete with top teams. Now again, you're looking back at the end of the season. Buffs sit at 5-7. and seven. Nebraska, 
sitting at five and seven. That- They're sitting at the bottom of the B- Big Ten. It's a team that really, really did not come together. So, again, this felt like such a big win for the Buffs. And just for the emotions, the kind of mental makeup, I do really think it is a big win. I think it's important to continue to drive this rivalry home. I think is the more you can build that, it's good for the Buffs long term. But maybe not quite that signature victory <laughs> you thought you had week two there. Fast forward one week to September 14th where the Air Force Falcons came to Boulder. Beautiful afternoon in Boulder, Colorado, but things were not beautiful on the scoreboard when all was said and done. Colorado on the day, 11 of 19 on third down conversions. Steven Montez threw the ball 43 times that day, and the Colorado Buffaloes, although they ran the ball 32 times, only managed 105 yards on the ground. Air Force gets the 30-23 win in overtime, and the panic button was not pushed quite yet because they lost in overtime. They easily could have won that game. Let's face it, CU didn't play their best against Air Force. So either, even though they were 2-1, and one, going into Pac-12 play, all was still very good in Boulder for football. There was not that much panic going around. And I think uh, remembering back that week, we we came out for that going that you, you kind of sometimes you need that sort well, of wake you up game and and it was Air Force the option. It's always a tough one, yeah. uh, but it's a game. Honestly, when you look back and and we talked about this a little bit last week, when you start to look back at being a five and seven football team, and and what could have been. This is that game, I think, more than any other, more than USC, more than Arizona. This is the game you look back at and say you blew it you go out and just win this game that you should win even if it takes you overtime if it takes you all that just go get this win and we're talking about a six and six football team right now and feeling so much different right now so colorado took a two and one record into pac-12 play where they ended up beating arizona state now the next three game chunk Arizona State, Arizona, and Oregon. We're going to kind of group Arizona and Oregon together because there's only one win here coming up the next couple games. And that was a big win in or excuse me, in Arizona State. So they went on the road, Pac-12 opponent. So much positive praise about Herm Edwards and this Arizona State team. By the way, one of the better teams they'd ever recruited to go into Arizona State. Montez throws for 337. It was his second highest performance of the year behind the Nebraska game and led CU to a 34-31 win at this point, Jared. Colorado's 3-1, and one, just won a Pac-12 game on the road. What were you thinking at that point? I thought the sky was the limit, and you start to look ahead on the schedule, and Arizona looks like a winnable game. Then you got a couple of tough ones in Oregon and Washington State, but you really start adding up all the, the wins that you see on the, uh, ahead of you, and Man, if only Colorado could just put out performances like they give against Arizona State every year because that was back-to-back years that I would argue their best performance of the season came against Arizona State. So for whatever reason, the Buffs seemed to really show up in that game. And, man, is Arizona State just the anomaly of the Pac-12? It seems like it. They go out and beat a team like Oregon. They're losing to Colorado. They're up and they're down. So you really did feel great about this and I especially going on the road in your first Pac-12 game I remember you telling me beginning of this season before the season Uh, even started (laughs) this was the game you go get that win and you had me sold Tyler once they won that game I really thought you were right and the bus were going to turn the corner and they were going to tear through the Pac-12 it did not quite work out that way I think that lost the following week as we move forward to Arizona 
I think that's where you really started to see the wheels come off a little bit for the Buffs. Yeah, exactly. CU did have a bye week after the Arizona State game, but the following calendar week from that, they hosted Arizona. And I, I forget exactly. It was family weekend, I think. Wasn't that it? Yes, it's that usually is start, correct. Yeah. yeah, family weekend in Boulder for Arizona. And that was an okay loss. I know there's really never anything, no such thing as an okay loss. But 35-30, close up until the very end. Sometimes as a young team, young coaching staff, you have to learn how to win games. I think that was one of those examples. I really don't discredit Colorado that much for that game. John Brown had 141 through the air that game. Looked very good. Overall, though, Jared, not enough to get the win at home. Colorado fell 3-2, and two, and they had uh, Oregon on deck. Uh, see, this is the one probably when I look back at the schedule, this is the loss that bugs me the most. And, and I think that or Air Force? Uh, this, it, to me, it's Arizona. And the reason I say that is because Arizona's not good. Okay, Kevin Sumlin <laughs> right. is not a good head coach. Khalil Tate is a below-average quarterback, yet he looks like a Heisman candidate every time he plays the bus. And so it's so frustrating that three years later, after the Buffs have seen him destroy him year after year, and I know this is a different coaching staff. I know there's a lot of different players out on the field, but how you can't come up with a game plan to stop what has become the norm in college football. It's not like some anomaly. This isn't Lamar Jackson in the NFL that they're trying to figure out how to stop him. You know the mold. You know how to stop it. And the Buffs seem to, year after year, just come up short in that game. So I think looking back, that's the one that bothers me the most because I just think you got outplayed by a team that you're clearly better than. The following Friday, Colorado went to Oregon. We don't have to spend much time on that game. It was a 45-3 loss for the Buffs. The next chunk of three games, Washington State, USC, and UCLA. Three losses for CU, so we're not going to spend a whole lot of time there. They went on the road, losing 41-10 to Washington State. Really didn't look good in any facet. I and think I, that was uh, when we, we we had sky falling at that point, yes, I believe, pretty yes, hard. Yes, it was after the big loss to Washington, the inexcusable loss at Washington State. You ex Excuse me, Oregon, I should have said before that. Then the big loss to Washington State. You expect things to change, and Montez came out looking very bad. This team didn't look to have a whole lot of fight in that bad raining weather in uh, Pullman, Washington. Colorado escapes there. Didn't look very good. Came back home with a 3-4 and four record. For the first time in 2019, Colorado had a losing record. Didn't have a whole lot of time to wait, though, because they had a short week on deck as they turned around and traveled to Los Angeles. Excuse me, traveled uh, back to Boulder as they hosted USC. And that was a close game up until the end. They had a chance to win it. Lo uh, losing 35-31, Montez threw for 324. LaVisca Chenault had almost 200 receiving yards that game. Once again, the story remains the same with the Trojans. Colorado just can't beat them. That, that game right there may be the difference in Clay Helton keeping his job. Yeah, I think so. Clay Helton is hanging on by a thread right now in, in uh, L.A., and that was a big win for USC. And CU turned around the next week and went to... LA and lost to Chip Kelly's UCLA Bruins 31-14 really didn't, didn't look too good not a whole lot of positives to take, to, uh, take from that game and we're going to touch a little bit later on uh, you know kind of stock up stock down on teams as we move forward in the 2020 season I'll be really curious to get your take on UCLA because I think what I took from this game against UCLA is that this was a team that I thought was really bad coming in yeah, but I better. do think they're on the, the uptick right now and they beat CU 31-14 but our last chunk of three games stand Stanford, Washington, and Utah. If you ask me, before the season started, this was by far the toughest chunk of three games imaginable. Yet Colorado ends up going 2-1, and one, beating Stanford, beating Washington. 
to end the last couple games winning in Folsom Field, and that's great because the fan base deserves it this year. I mean, the fan base was so good from start to finish, filled the stadium, really backed the buffs and backed Mel Tucker, and they deserve to get those two wins, starting with Stanford on November 9th. Montez throwing for shy at 200, but they didn't really need it. Defense showed up that day, allowing Stanford to score 13 points. Timely turnovers, timely stops on defense. Alex Fontenot, 95 on the ground. And uh, Jared Mangum added a, a nice day as well. Jared, this was, I think, I understand they beat Washington 2014, but this was the signature win where they turned it all around, beat a good team at home, and we said, you know what? That is what we've been looking for. And I think I, I would agree with you that this is the signature win on their schedule, not because of who they beat or, or any of that, but how they beat them. This is how Mel Tucker wants to see his team winning football games. Absolutely. That defense driving. This was the first time all season they had kept a team under 30 points, and they won with the defense. That was, I think, a huge step in Mel Tucker's progression as a head coach with us. So we agree that was the signature win on the season. The next week, however, well, I should say the following uh, game, which was two weeks on the calendar, was the best win of the season, most complete win, beating Washington 2014 at home. Colorado got off to a great start this game, and then Washington battled back. If Colorado pulled the CU of old, the CU that we've seen the last decade plus, they would have let that thing go. They let Washington, frankly, with a more talented team and probably a more experienced coaching staff, get back in and win that game almost every year, not this year. They showed how they're different under Mel Tucker. They showed that this is not the same football team. Jared, they get the 2014 win at home, senior day against Washington. That was a... Such a big win. To send these seniors off the right way, man, I was so happy to see that. It's always funny to me, to, uh, to completely away from the game, but you look at these last two matchups in Boulder, Stanford, 80 degrees, showed up in a T-shirt and jeans. I was dying. Then you get <laughs> two know, weeks huh? later, right? night game, <laughs> and we're like 35, man. I love it. <laughs> and then the last game of the year, Utah. We already kind of talked about that. Overall, Jared, 5-7 and seven on the year. We'll come back after this one and only commercial break and talk about whether it was a positive or a negative, whether you were happy or disappointed with the CU 2019 football team. Special thanks to Woos Media. This is a Woos Media podcast. And if you're interested in getting involved with online marketing, check out Woos Media online, woosmedia.com. That's W-O-O-Z-E media.com. The best and most up-to-date form of online marketing. Show up on ESPN.com, CNN.com, anywhere on Google, Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter. It doesn't matter where you want to show up. They can get your ads in front of your potential customers. Online, woosmedia.com, and on Twitter. Twitter at Woos Media. Also want to thank the Wise Listing System team. Uh, now, the, the unique thing about the Wise Listing System team, they are a realtor in the Castle Rock area. They'll cover the greater Denver metro area, but they, they pay your first month mortgage. It's kind of what they're known for across the state of Colorado. And imagine how much that can help you. Whether you're moving into a home, a mansion, a condo, whatever it is, if you have your first month paid for, it's going to help so much. You're, 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 you're spending little things here or there, moving trucks, expenses to, to store your stuff, whatever it is. We all know how expensive it is to move. Have that first month paid for with the Wise Listing System team. They'll make the whole thing easy, make the whole thing seamless. Check them out online, paymyfirstmonth.com. Tell them you heard about them right here on the Buffs Nation podcast. 
And last but not least, want to thank TopNotchOdds.com. If you're looking at getting involved this bowl season, lots of bowl games coming up, and if you want a website to place bets on bowl games, check out TopNotchOdds.com. Enter promo code SHARP. Edge, and you can let them know that you heard about them right here on the Buffs Nation podcast. Promo code SharpEdge gets you up to a 200% deposit bonus. Great lines before the game, great lines during the game if you like live betting. Online topnotchodds.com, promo code SharpEdge on Twitter at topnotchodds. All right, welcome on back, the Buffs Nation podcast. All right, Jared, do you want to give some uh, grades? Well, before we give some grades for the season, before we go to the classroom and put the professor's hat on, um, overall, overall thoughts on the year for Colorado. Five and seven. Were you disappointed they didn't make a bowl game? Were you happy that we saw the progression through the year? What are you walking away thinking about that, that, that year? It's really hard coming away from this last week and what we've seen from this team of late to not be disappointed with missing out on a bowl game. But I, I remember coming into this season, sitting down on our first show and bringing up the idea that you can't measure this season based on wins and losses. What you want to see a team is a team that continually gets better throughout the year. I think we can check that one off. I think this is a team that got stronger, stronger throughout the year. There was a and lull point with Oregon and Washington State, but overall, I would say so, yes. And they played their best football at the end of the season. Yeah. And they stole a couple of games they shouldn't have won. I think those were kind of big things that you wanted to feel like you were building in another in a direction a positive direction. You you were building towards a potential eight or nine win season next year, not you know hanging around the middle in this four, five, six, seven wins every year. So I, I do feel really good about the direction, but I can't sit here and tell you right now today that I'm not disappointed. This team belongs in a bowl. They're good enough to be in a bowl. They're a lot better than a lot of teams that are going yeah, to bowls. Yeah, no kidding. So That's it true. is disappointing because I do think there was an expectation that this team was good enough and should be there. And that's the word right there is expectation. And it depends on when you ask me this year That's what my right. expectation was because once CU was three and one and one and zero in the Pac-12, their only win in the Pac-12 coming on the road at Arizona State, I would have said at that point, right? If it is because they played on September 21st, the Saturday, so if it's Sunday, September 22nd, my, I'm saying yes. If Colorado doesn't make a bowl game this year, it's very disappointing. They were three and one at that point. They were one and zero in the Pac-12. Of course, it's disappointing, right? But then you fast forward, and all of a sudden they're three and six after no, the November second game, and it's November third, and they're you going, oh no, it's three and six. This is terrible. Then your expectations change. And so, if you're asking me how do I feel before the season started. This is right about where I saw CU. You know, five and seven, six and six, probably more six and six making a bowl game. But I'm happy with what I saw to end the year. It's much different if they were five and one and went on a losing streak against some bad teams, so on and so forth. Exactly, man. They looked better throughout the season. They got better throughout the year. And I think this coaching staff got a lot better throughout the season. They they made so many improvements in game, halftime adjustments, the way they talk and, and handle their players. I was really impressed with the coaching staff. And we were talking after a month about the Tyson Summers and some of these guys on the offensive and defensive staff, that all changed because you got a couple wins in there. So it's funny what some wins will do, but it's also funny what some time in the in the in the uh, locker room and some time in the boardroom will do, changing things up because this offense and this defense looks so different because of the coaching staff, Jared. 
Yeah, and I think we've all had one of those jobs. It may have been a service job when when you're in high school or college, where you work for a, a company that doesn't let things work themselves out. Right. You know, they try to force things, and when stuff doesn't happen right away, they make drastic changes. And so, I think you and I, and I think a lot of us fans, maybe we're pushing for that a little too early. And we never, let's be clear, we were never calling for changes or calling for heads no, or anything no, like no, that. No. But I think it's important to look back and, and see that trend and that growth as a coaching staff. Even though these guys have all been around together and, and, and coached on the same staff together, they've never been together in these roles. They've never gotten a chance to work directly under Mel Tucker and see exactly how he wants his team to run. And so I just think it took some time to get there. And it was it was very – it gives you a lot of promise going into next year to see that everything does seem to be clicking. They all seem to be on the same page as we move forward into next season. All right, Jared, you want to give some grades out on the year. All right, let's go ahead and do that. Offensive line overall. Now, offensive line had some injuries from the beginning of the season to the end of the year overall. And let's kind of make this a quicker segment. But overall, what would you give the grade for the I'm going to be line? harsh on this one. I'm giving the offensive line a D. Wow. Okay? And, and, and a quick explanation why. I think if you're basing just off of performance, probably a C or a B. I think they were solid. I don't think they were great. I don't think they were terrible. The reason they get a D is the penalties. The consistent issue, I'd say a vast majority of the penalties that CU had were on the offensive line, false starts, holding, uh, formation, those sorts of things, and they took points off the board for the buffs, and I think it cost the buffs games this year. I'm going to go C because of that very reason. The penalties were inexcusable, and there were ups and downs despite there being backups. You have to be able to protect the quarterback a little bit more. But also, I think this offensive line gets too much scrutiny because Steven Montez is too quick to scramble. It makes this offensive line look a lot worse than they really are. So I'm taking some of the slack off them. I'll give them a C for the year overall. Not great. Not horrible either. C for me for the offensive line. All right, let's go to the skill positions, not including quarterbacks. So let's go receivers, running backs. Overall, how would you grade the skill positions this year? I'm going to give the skill positions a B. I'd love to go A because you did see some really good depth come through here for the bus. Both that receiver really liked what I saw from both running backs this year, Fontenot and from Jaron Mangum. But your biggest star, LaVisca Chenault, had what would be considered a disappointing year. I don't think anybody had a stellar year. Not one player for the Buffs eclipsed 1,000 yards of scrimmage yards. So you got to knock him a little bit there. I'm giving him a B. I'm going to give him an A-, minus, and here's why. I put more of that on the coaching staff. I think when they were asked to do certain things, they certainly performed. LaVisca Chenault was injured a lot of the time, so he didn't get a lot of opportunities. It's not like he played every snap and wasn't productive. I give them an A- minus when they were asked to do things. They stepped up and had good games. There was one or two games in there where drops were an issue with a couple guys, but overall, I love what I saw from these receivers, and overall, the receiving unit is the best overall group of any position on the field, offense and defense for the Buffs. I'm giving him an A-. minus. I thought it was a good year for him. And between both the running back and receiver position, a lot of guys returning to Boulder next year. Very true. Let's get on to one Steven Montez, the senior leader of this offense. What Great. Are you giving Montez? This I had year? a really hard time with this. I wanted to be really harsh, but I think I figured out exactly where it was. He was just eh. You know, so I'm going to give him a C. I think he was disappointing in that you thought he had A or B in him, and you just never saw it. He wasn't terrible. I don't know that you could necessarily say Steven Montez was costing the Buffs right, games, right. but he wasn't going out and winning games for the Buffs either. So I'm going to give Steven Montez a C on the season. Yeah, C plus. Same, man. He wasn't great. He wasn't good. Uh, I mean, 
look, there were a couple games where he really, really played well. That Nebraska game, he balled out. The Arizona State game, balled out. But when they needed him the most against Washington State, he completely was a no-show. And like the skill position guys, I do put a little bit of that on the coaching staff. Now, I think they worked with him, and through the season he showed improvements, which is what you want. But still, to start things off, it was not great. A couple of those close games, who knows if he plays better how they go. Montez gets a C-plus from me. All right, let's move on to the defense, the front seven. So the D-line and the linebackers overall grouping them together, what grade do you give the front seven? I'm going to give the front seven a B. I think if you were to break this down into some of the different categories, such as, say, pass rush would be very poor, probably, for the buffs. Uh, coverage linebackers would be very high. So I think you got a little bit of a mix of both, but I think this is really driven by the interior of the defensive line. When those guys were healthy, Jalen Sammy, Mustafa Johnson, some of those guys were animals on the inside there. That's really promising moving forward to next year. And, and Nate Landman, uh, Davion Taylor, I mean, those guys are just beasts. I got a stat here. Let's see. Nate Landman this last year, 113 tackles hey for his career 231 tackles as Whoa, a Buffalo. I am on fire. It's quite a uh, stat there, Jerry. I know. Isn't it unbelievable? Yeah, that's great. Crazy. So what, what, what grade do you give him? I give them a B for the front seven. Yeah, I'll go B. That sounds very, very fair to me. Good season. Showed up. I mean, let's face it. In the Stanford-Washington games, probably don't win if the front seven doesn't have the great games they did. I agree with Jared there. B overall. All right, defensive backs. God, you talk about a unit that was so injured throughout the year. Mikhail Onu was really the one consistent player through the season. He got hurt in practice last week, couldn't play the last game of the year. What do you give the secondary? Uh, again, man, this is a very tough one because early in the year, we probably saw an F. Yeah. You know, late in the year, I think we may have seen an A or a B. So I'm going to find you right there in the middle. I'm going to give them a C because you're, it's you're a group a that teacher. I think I wouldn't I have am. liked you in school. Oh, man, yeah. I'm brutal. I'm brutal. <laughs> you want to grade on a curve with me. But um, I just think it's a team that, uh, a, a unit that grew a lot. And I think going into next year, I would say going into next year, you're looking at a B type unit because of how much experience they got and how much better they were by the end of the year. Last on the list here, Mel Tucker. What do you, and, and let's kind of put him and his staff all in one. What do you give the guys running Colorado's football team? I am going to be a little bit conservative, probably a little bit more, I think, than you are. Maybe I'm wrong, but I'm going to give him a B. You know what? If you're talking about the foundation that Mel Tucker laid here, this is an A+. I mean, he has built this team to be a potential dominant force in two or three years in the Pac-12. But we talked about it a moment ago. There were expectations coming into this year that this was a good, talented team, that this is a team that should be making a bowl game and potentially compete in the Pac-12 South that was a down Pac-12 South. They didn't do any of those things. And so I do think there has to be a knock on what Mel Tucker and the staff did this year. And so I take him from that A-plus down to a B overall. I'm going A for Mel Tucker and his staff. It was such a good year for the expectations CU had coming into this season. Yeah, they were, they were expected to do some damage. But look, taking over a team who didn't know how to win, a damaged culture, there were ex you expect to have a couple hiccups along the way. You expect to have a couple losses. Did we like those losses when they happened? No. Did we come on this show and complain a little bit and talk about what could be changed? Of course we did. But overall, you expect that in the season. Mel Tucker getting a 5-7 and seven year out of that Buffs team that was once 3-6. and six. I think hey, they had a great year overall. Mel Tucker coaching staff, they are getting an A from me. 
All right, Jared, should we quickly shift gears and get to stock up and stock down? You got a couple listed on here. I'm really curious as to where you're going. With uh, let's see. It's time to play Stock Up or Stock Down. All right, so this is simple. You let me know whether the stock is up or down or where the stock is heading for these following topics. Let's go overall. The University of Colorado football team, Stock Up, Stock Down for CU football. This is a major stock up right now. We've been talking about it the last correct, few weeks. Correct. Big time. Huge for the buffs. Yeah, no, I agree. Stock up for CU. Good season this year. Mel Tucker, you just talked about the foundation, what they're building here. Number one overall recruit in the nation, Antonio Alfano coming to CU. He's not just a five-star. He's the number one overall recruit coming to CU. A lot of guys are going to see that, hop on the train. Boulder will be a soon a hotbed for Colorado or for a football talent. And uh, stock up, certainly, for the Colorado football Buffalo team. Quick quick note real quick on uh, recruiting. Buffs right now ranking 29th in the country. Uh, last year ranked 44th, and 44th would have been the highest that uh, the previous coaching staff, McIntyre, ever had. So great. not only did they start with the, the best season the Buffs have had in many years, they're building off that big time right now, looking close to being a top 25 recruiting team. That is great. All right, uh, Pac-12 South, stock up or stock down? the Pac-12 South. I, I thought I was going to tell you stock up. I, I really did. But when you start looking team by team, I just, I got to say this is a stock town. Utah is going to lose a ton. When you look across their, their roster, they have so many senior. There's no way they don't take a step back here. I think really one of the only teams I could really argue right now that is trending definitely up is UCLA outside of, of Colorado. So I got to go stock down for the Pac-12 South. I'm actually going to go stock up. And here's why. If you're talking national perception about the Pac-12 and what people think about the Pac-12 South, maybe team by team, it's not great, right? Colorado, Arizona State, it's not if you go team by team. But that's not how perception often works. It's how how often does a team get there? Does the, you know a lot of people talk about you know the the SEC West because Alabama and Auburn are always there, and it would help if the Pac-12 South had a couple teams. Maybe if USC was a little better. But the fact that Utah is likely going to represent the Pac-12 this year and be the fourth overall team in the playoffs, I have to. And I think my my answer is predicated on. If Utah is the fourth team this year, that's great look for the Pac-12 and the Pac-12 South. So if Utah makes it, stock up. If they don't, probably stock down. I was just going to say, because if they don't yeah, make it, exactly. that definitely tells you the perception yeah, of the Pac-12 South has down. not changed at all. Let's go to Pac-12 North. I, I'm going definite stock down. Hard for down. Yeah. And this, this move from Chris Peterson leaving Washington, I actually think when you look at the Pac-12 North, every single team in the north, I think, is going to be trending down next year. No doubt about that. Oregon with the big loss last week. Things do not look good right now in the Pac-12, and a lot of that to blame is the Pac-12 South. Probably one of the more popular, or probably one of the more positive things right now in the Pac-12 is Oregon State in the Pac-12 North. So that's not good. That's embarrassing. That's, that's em- not a good thing. Them beavers don't draw a whole lot of attention. Los Angeles football. Stock up or stock down? Okay, so you mentioned this on air. Are we talking specific college or are we talking Los Angeles football in general? Uh, we're talking how broad are we going here? In general. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say stock up. Yeah. Um, and if we're talking specifically the, the two teams that play in LA in the Pac 12, I actually think 
both will be trending up next year. Not because USC and anything they did this year, but because regardless of the fact that they're now a ranked team winning football games, it still sounds like Clay Helton may be out oh, if God. Urban Meyer makes himself available. I which hope. can you blame him? But now I'm hearing I'm hearing Urban to the Dallas Cowboys. Oh, you think Urban wants to make the jump yeah, to the NFL? That's what I heard. That's intriguing. But I think if USC goes and lands a big time coach, they're going to be trending up as long as Clay Helton is there. They're middling around the you know the middle of the pack there. UCLA's trending up. If you want to talk NFL, I like what the Rams are doing. I like what Jared Goff and, and, and Sean McVay are doing there. They're having a down year, but they'll be trending back up. Last but not least, Lee Corso. Now, if you've watched college football game day le- le- uh, lately, Lee Corso is a good guy. He's got the catchphrase, not so fast, but the dude's losing it, and I don't know how much longer he has on the air. You know, he starts to go for a sentence or two, and it's like you can tell they're like, oh, God, can we cut him off? What are we going to do? Okay. He's rambling. He's getting – he grabbed the wrong hat this year, the wrong <laughs> the wrong mascot <laughs> for one of his things. Okay, okay. So here's what here, – here, I'm going to surprise you in this one. I'm going to stay stock up for Lee Corso <laughs> as the crazy uncle that she just can't get enough of, but stock down for ESPN and continuing to put the spotlight on him. <laughs> Clearly, this guy cannot handle everything you're throwing at him right now, so get him in a role where he can be a face, and all he does is throw that stupid head on that everyone gets a kick out yeah, of. He does need to be making nine I picks I know, across. right? Yeah, and he's going in-depth on all these games. It's like, Lee, you're cute. We need to have him on to have a few picks and then get him off. Exactly. All, so. right. all right, Jared, before we wrap our show up for today and wrap this season up in general, and also what we're going to do for our college football pick is Jared and I are just going to have a little mini show, and then we're going to replay a portion of picks that I'm making on a separate college football podcast. So if you guys are interested in picks for the college football season, tune back in. We will have that here in a couple weeks, right here on the Buffs Nation podcast. But this is our last podcast with Jared and I talking about CU. And Jared, before we get out of here, let's talk about next year's schedule uh, quickly. We're not going to go game by game or anything like that, but overall thoughts, overall impressions, the non-conference next year, CSU, Fresno State, at Texas A&M. I don't want to be bold here, but I see a pretty clear 2-1 and one on the schedule. I love this non-conference schedule for the Buffs. Now, would I like to see... I, I don't know where Fresno State ranks. I, I really don't follow them close enough to know if they're a better or worse team than CSU, but I love seeing Texas A&M on this schedule, and, and that's going to be a team trending up. You know, They, they got uh, Jimbo Fisher a couple years ago. They've been recruiting hard. I think that's going to be potentially a ranked team when the Buffs go to play them uh, week three, and that could could be that kind of hang your hat on non-conference win that the bus could be talking about if they come together the way you and I believe they can next year and be talking about eight, nine wins. That Texas A&M win could be the difference maker. You get into Pac-12 play and the Pac-12 scheduling committee did see you no favors next year. They open up, and this is just Pac-12 play. They open up Pac-12 play on the road against Arizona. Then CU has five home games in a row before ending the year with three straight road games at Stanford, at USC, at Washington. I mean, folks, this schedule is bizarre. I don't mind throwing in a couple road games to mix it up in there. What you don't want is that third week where Colorado has now traveled 
to Stanford, back to Boulder, to LA, back to Boulder. Now you're going to Washington for potentially a really, really big game. So much travel. So yes, it's going to be good when CU has five home games in a row. We just let everyone know those five home games are Arizona State, Oregon, UCLA, Utah, and Washington State. A couple tough games in there. And we don't know when the bye weeks are going to come, so on and so forth. But, Jared, if there's not a bye week in between one of those three games at the end of the year, CU is going to have to deal with some major bumps in the road next season because this schedule does them no favors. And there's, it's not like in that mix of, of road games at the end of the year, it's not like you have, and I don't want to throw anybody out there because we don't know exactly who's, who's going to be where next year in the Pac-12, but you don't have a gimme game. No. You know, no. you go Stanford, USC, Washington. I mean, those are all potentially ranked teams, bowl teams, and teams that you're going to have to get through if, again, you want to be competing for a Pac-12 championship. Those are all going to have to be games. Not necessarily that you have to win all of them, but you cannot go down the stretch, loss, loss, loss. That is going to completely derail anything you have going next year. And for our season ticket holders, uh, the uh, the first home game is September 12th next year uh, at uh, against Fresno. But CU opens up at uh, Fort Collins, okay? So at CSU, and then next week home against uh, Fresno. Then the following week at Texas A&M. The week after that at Arizona. So in the first month of the season, there's going to be one home game. You know, it's a weird schedule next year, and I don't think the schedule makers did the buffs any favors at all. All right, Jared, before we get on out of here, final thoughts on the 2019 season, the 2019 Colorado Buffaloes football team. It's been a tough one, you know, and you just you look back at the last couple of weeks, kind of gives you an indication of the whole season. A couple big wins, a couple terrible losses. Been a little bit of a roller coaster, but you have to feel good about the direction Mel Tucker is taking this team. You got to throw out that last game. You know, we talked about that. That that that's one you just you can't sour on. But they finished stronger than they have in many years that I can remember. Came up with big wins against big teams in November, and I think probably more importantly, they're getting huge victories on the recruiting trail. And I think that is going to pay dividends for this team next year. So as much as I'd love to see the Buffs bowling this year, I'm filled with optimism for what 2020 is going to bring. And I'm just excited to see how this the rest of this recruiting season goes for the Buffs. Yeah, I am too. And Mel Tucker had a good point at the end of this game. It's that everything actually starts now. It's not that the season ended now. Everything is just getting going. You got to hit the recruiting trail. You got to make sure you're talking to all those recruits, all those high school kids who you've started to talk to. You want to finish your conversations with them. Make sure they know you're thinking about them, looking at them, and wanting to bring them here to Boulder, Colorado to keep the winning, <coughs> the winning going. Jared, it's been a great season. Thanks so much, man. Remember out there to follow us, give us a like, rate, and review us wherever you are listening to the Buffs Nation podcast. And we will have one more season-ending bull pick'em. Until next year, for Jared All, I'm Tyler Walgie. Let's go Buffs. Get those recruits to Boulder. Let's go Buffs. Buffs.